0: Love
1: Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's Quintessential Listening, Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram.
2: Here tonight with Aaron R, the poet, and the winners and showcase artists of the summer edition of the Poetically Correct Poetry Contest. These poets include Chef, Keys Will, Miss Cayenne, Vanessa G Santana, and She So Cold. Good evening, everyone. What's going on, good Michael? Good evening.
1: Hey.
2: Good evening. Hey. hey. <laughs> uh, I'm appreciate glad you having with us up here tonight. You're more than welcome. Yeah. It was an incredible contest. There were so many participants, man. It was it was just out of this world, out of this world. Mm-hmm. Well, what I'd like to do is to turn the program over to you, my friend, to introduce the artists and the poets.
1: Yeah, awesome. I appreciate everybody joining tonight. <laughs> this is Aaron Art the poet. Now you all know it. Um, we did have a great contest. You know, we had. um 20 Poets Come Together. It was a fantastic competition. Everybody who missed it, you can check it out on my YouTube page, youtube.com slash AaronRThePoet. I think, though, Michael, before we get started on that, I think it was a question, right? You wanted to pose to people?
2: Yes. What I would like to know, I mean, this is a huge thing that we're doing as we're talking to people and processing what is happening in this world. What is poetry? What is it that we do? What do we want to do every day, every night, every weekend, every moment of the day? What is it that we do? What is this thing called poetry? And anyone can answer that particular question.
1: Who wants to start us off with that?
3: I can start it off. This is she So Cold. Um, for me, poetry was my favorite. Everything that, that I needed to get out of my mental space was written. And then once I was introduced to spoken word, it was performed, and
2: that became my savior. That's what poetry is for me. Wow, poetry is your savior. Talk a little bit more about that. I mean, that's a a beautiful, beautiful statement. Tell me a little bit more.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And I started poetry uh, writing or performing poetry in college, Um, and just before finishing up, my mom passed away. And so Mm -hmm. I stopped performing. Um, And then for quite a few years, maybe about five years, I stopped writing altogether. Um, So for years and years, I didn't write. For about 16 years, I didn't perform. My first time stepping on the stage after all those years was in 2019. And so Mm -hmm. even though I wasn't performing poetry, I still I was journaling, um, writing short stories and writing poems, and I kept those all for myself. And that's how I stayed grounded. That's how I was able to continue to function. You kind of get lost when you lose your best friend. So that was the most. Mm. Um, that was a turning point in my life where I knew that it was necessary for me to keep writing. I needed therapy, so I went to I yeah. went to you know counseling. But I also mm-hmm. kept journaling. I kept learning how to mm. put my emotions on the paper because everybody else in the world was going to be like a victim of my wrath because I was so mad that my mom was gone, and right. so. That's how it became my savior. It was just, okay, I have to write. If I don't write, I'm, I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm crabby, I'm mean, and I didn't I, – I needed to, to have some sense of relief. And oh, it, wow. it went even further once I got back on the microphone, once I started performing again, my life completely changed, completely changed mm. from everything before the day I stepped on the stage.
2: You know that really made me smile just listening to you talk. Yeah, yeah. Because it sounds like you epitomize what poetry is all about. It's an opportunity to mm-hmm. grow, to be, to be different, to find yeah. yourself. Yeah. In the process. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. I Who else would like to, to tackle that we'll, question?
1: I would just add in sure. one of the things. One of the things that we'll hear from She's So Cold a little bit later is her passion and her poetry too. So I think what what you said is definitely plays out when you do your performances too so i can appreciate that for you who wants to thank you who wants to go next on what poetry means to them
3: keys will go next um this is keys will i'm a spoken word smith and accidental rapper for me Mm -hmm. um Poetry is a is a vehicle and um in spoken word form I would say my voice is the driver. Um, it wasn't until about recently that I recognized my voice as my superpower and how important words play in my life. Like words of affirmation is a love language for me. Words are just they just played a significant role that I'm able to communicate and understand in ways that I can't in any other form. And poetry allows me to organize my thoughts and say it in a, a creative way where I can, you know, deliver a message and it's received the way that I intended for it to be received. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: that's wow.
2: that's
1: what poetry you said it was your – your words were your superpower. That's what stood out to me about that. <laughs>
2: yeah, me too. I'm going to pull one of my superpower. Michael
1: questions.
2: <laughs> yeah, what say more about
1: <laughs> about how is your superpower and what you meant by that?
3: Um, It's it's a strength of mine. Any problem that is words or any written word or anything that needs to be spoken that's involved, it's like – I. Activate something just activates in me i don't I don't know where it comes from. it's really not in my control like you could tell me right now, write a whole ten page essay, and my brain will just switch and just eloquently just deliver this this essay um it's just something that i've I've always been I've always been drawn to I've always been good at, and even when I try to get away from it it just it won't get away
2: from me. <laughs> So, yeah. So poetry is kind of like a magnet; it won't let you get away. It won't
3: let me get it. Got a hold on me. It won't let me get (laughs) it. Got a hold
2: on you. (laughs) All right, something got a hold on me. All right, all right. (laughs) Who'd like to go next? Who'd like to share next? What is poetry? What is this this magic? What is this magnet? What is this thing that we do? Good people talk to an old man.
3: <laughs> well, this is Miss Cayenne. I'm a poet, and I know it. I and you know it. I and I know it. And I'm listening so intently to uh, the poets who have spoken before me, um, and I I'm like, yep, that's what it is for me. And yep, that's what it is for me. Um, so I don't have much different. I would agree that it's it's been my savior. It's been all of those things. It's been a superpower. Well, I think uh, when I think about the origin of poetry for me, much like She's So Cold, it was an outlet when I began to experience loss in my own life. My mother, my brother, didn't have my father. So I had a lot of loss in my life early. And so poetry, creative writing, journaling literally was uh, my, my space. And I think more specifically my original wonderfulness of poetry is it was a safe space. Poetry is my safe space, um, my my um, not so much a comfort zone, not at all, but a place where I felt safe in a world where uh, loss was all around, you know, as a kid, whether I was being bullied, um, as a young adult, just not knowing where do I fit in. It was my safe place. It was the place I could go and uh, as I, I like to say that my journal pages didn't judge me. You know, it didn't judge me whether I had a period in the right place. It didn't judge me that I used this kind of language. It didn't judge me mm-hmm. when I was angry with God, and I said I was angry with God on the paper. It didn't judge me and damn me to hell. It was my faith, and it is and remains being my safe faith, um, a place where I can go and um, express, be, be, um, be imperfect, you know, be who I am without uh, shame, without pushback, without judgment, which provides for me the confidence, right, to go back out into the world, out of the shell and into the world and be that as well. Thus, you know, spoken word comes to a place where you dare to speak aloud, Your, your superpower speak aloud, your savior speak aloud. For me, my safe space that's the spoken word and the stage because as i've stated before in other settings i think michael i've been here before in this show yes. it is also another level of responsibility once you decide to take your pages your pen and your pages to a stage into the ears of others because now poetry becomes the sermon it becomes the message it becomes the prophecy mm-hmm. it becomes the lifeboat it becomes the beacon, you know, so it it can transform. But for me, it begins as being a safe space.
2: All right, Be- beautifully stated. I like that line. The wonderfulness yeah. of poetry that that touched me. The wonderfulness of it that we embody it. Mm-hmm. The wonderfulness of it. Who'd like to go next and just share what is poetry to them? What about Chef? What is poetry to you, my young yeah. man?
1: Hi, I'm Chev and I guess I'll go next.
4: Um, poetry, poetry is what the world would sound like if it talked to you. It ain't, it ain't got no use for money. It's seen and done just about everything. Poetry is what the earth would sound like if it got to talk to you, like if every perspective and feeling that exists just spoke back to you. It is... It's the best way to use language. It's it's how I stayed alive, personally, the past three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. About three years ago, after college, I was homeless. Mm. So I was literally doing like performing poems on the F train in Queens, uh, hoping that people will like me enough to like give me money to eat or wash some clothes and. It worked out for about a year and a half until I moved, like, um, back out to Atlanta. So I'd say I owe poetry a lot, and Mm. it owes me nothing, because I don't think it'd be worth talking if I couldn't write poems.
1: Oh wow! (laughs) Or if Uh I couldn't
4: say them. So I, I'm, I'm gonna get all teary out again. Somebody else talk. Yeah. (laughs) All
1: right. All right. so I was All right, going to ask friend. you a follow-up question. I would just wanted to ask you a follow-up question. I don't want to make you cry or nothing like that shit, but I guess at that point when, and then other people can chime in too on this, like at that point when you're writing for, is it any different when you're writing kind of for uh, your well-being or just to be able to put food on the table versus when you are able to kind of just write with a more peaceful mind?
4: Guys, it was breaking up for a second. What did you say, sir?
1: I said, yeah. Is it is it any different when you're having a, to write, when you have, like, a clear peace of mind versus when you're going through a struggle, like, really needing to write to just put food on the table?
4: At the time, yes. Now, No. At the time, um, I had to learn to write hungry. I had to learn to perform hungry. Yeah. I had to learn to write tired. I had to learn to perform tired. I had to yeah. learn how to stand in front of people when I don't necessarily feel my best. And yeah. what I'd say I owe to poetry is that it, I never had to do that alone. It always felt like the art at least stood with me. Mm. And now, now when I write, I'm actually hungry for the writing. Mm. So it's still there. It's just now I have a sandwich. (laughs) And now I write kind of because I need to for me, not I need to for For anything necessarily necessarily tangible. Yeah.
1: Wow! Wow! That's real.
4: Who was saying
1: yeah? Like y'all want to chime in? Want to chime in?
3: Uh, this is Miss Cayenne. I, I was just saying yeah because that's just so powerful. You know the writing from those different perspectives. Um, I, I was just moved. That's what my yeah was. I was just moved by that. Mm-hmm. Um, that hunger and and the differences there. Uh, it's inspirational and humbling just to listen to that story. All
2: right. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's continue this journey. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Aaron R, the poet, and a copia. T- yes, sir. <laughs> yes. Sir. I turn it over to you, my friend.
1: Yeah. So again, you know, appreciate everybody for participating in the Poetically Correct contest. If you missed any other, you can check it out on YouTube.com/slash Aaron R the poet. Um, I think what you think, Michael. We should go ahead and get into one round of poems now, right?
2: Yes. I think so. so my friend.
1: right. I'm. a... So why don't we go ahead and start with She's So Cold, you know, go ahead and tell everybody where you're from, and then you can introduce this first piece, and then we'll kind of go from there.
3: Okay. Um, I am She's So Cold. I am a, I'm originally from New York City, uh, Brooklyn, and Queens, and here. now I'm based in Houston, right? <laughs> I'm based in Houston now. I've been here for two years. Um. That's pretty much what I got going on. Uh, This poem that I'm going to recite now, the title is The First 48. My GYN said it's time for me to start getting mammograms annually. I simply agreed. Nodded my head and assured her the number on the referral would be used, and I would schedule my appointment very soon because I'm aging. As I walked back to my car, I promised myself I wouldn't procrastinate this year that I wouldn't wait until the fear of me leaving my kids the way my mother left me nestled itself into a tear perched on my lower eyelid. I promised that I would call because my insurance has included preventative care in their premium plan, so there's no reason not to catch evidence of breast cancer in the early stages. I have planned my adult life around the possibility of transitioning from this world early on. Life insurance policies, my kids as my beneficiary, purchasing a house, Turning it into a home with the intent that when time stops ticking for me, my children and I will have created a lifetime of memories and splattered them all over the walls and the bedrooms and hallways with no faith to misunderstand the true meaning of home is where the heart is. Because I'm aging. As per my GYN, I'm middle age. As per my kids, I'm ready to kick the bucket. And as per my friends, I get to be as young as I feel. Have you ever felt young and old at the same time? Have you ever felt the fear of aging to a particular number? My number is 48. 48, the total number of constellations sprinkled in the galaxy that makes the sky look like a glittered moon pie. 48, the total number of minutes in a full basketball game. Kobe. Kobe. 48, the total number of laws of power cited by Robert Greene as a way to manipulate situations to our liking, but I can't manipulate the fact that I'm aging. That my bones start to creak as soon as my feet hit the floor in the morning. That my neck will remain stiff for a minimum of 48 hours if that pillow is not positioned properly. That my vision is slipping. And I find myself standing in Walgreens trying on different readers just so I can see the screen on my phone without holding it two centimeters from my nose. The more I age, the more i mature. I'm grateful for growth. I'm grateful for progression. I'm fearful of fulfilling my purpose too soon because that means it will be time to bow out gracefully. And the human in me is afraid of what's on the other side of breath. Could it be that the first 48 years of my life will be the catalyst to my greatness? Could it be that I must die to rise to the greatest of heights and the only way is to combine the numbers four associated with love, power, integrity, and eight associated with independence, wisdom, and balance, and a striking resemblance to the infinity symbol? Does this mean that I get to live on forever? Does this mean that I get to see past tomorrow? Does this mean that every day that my eyes open puts me one step closer to closing them indefinitely? Maybe, maybe, I do know that I'm aging. The one thing I'm experiencing that I have no control over, and I, I can either roll over and let fear order my steps right to the grave, a place where I can't take anything with me, a place where nothing else matters, a place that no one knows for sure exists, or I can be brave, and I can live each day like I want to be here, like I want to be loved, like I want to feel, like I want to be, like I want to live, like aging is inevitable but I could still have a substantially fulfilling life, even if it's only in the first 48. Thank you. Mm. Done. <laughs>
0: oh, <Finished. man>. oh. <laughs> Come on. Right. She was-
2: <laughs> Dang. She's so cold. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Mm. How long did it take you to write that piece, She's So Cold? Mm-hmm.
3: Um, maybe... Maybe about two or three days. Wrote it, came back to it. Wrote it, came back to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about that long. And
1: yeah, anything else that you know that inspired it, yeah. per se, like
3: oh, absolutely. Was it yeah, my mom.
1: True story. My mom passed away or? from
3: breast cancer, um, mm-hmm. at the age of forty-eight. And mm-hmm. it was at the beginning of this year that I wrote that piece, uh, where at, at my birthday. Um, And it was just like, I'm really, like, I'm aging. I'm I'm definitely aging. Like, I feel it. Everything that I described is what I'm going through now. At the end of this year, on December 31st, I will be 40 years old. And while I don't necessarily feel, like, my heart doesn't feel 40, but my body is like, hey, girl. You forty, again. Um, you forty. I feel it. I feel it. Um, so my heart, my heart is young, but physically, I'm seeing the changes. I'm seeing that, and, and so as as I get closer to getting to the same age where my mother was, where she passed, where she was diagnosed at 48, at 46 and passed at 48, and that's, that's a scary feeling. It's like I'm getting closer. Does that mean that I'm going to I'm going to survive? I'm going to surpass mm. And so it's just something that crosses my mind more often now than ever before. So that's that's right. what right. me. Right. Understandable.
2: Thank you for that's sharing. Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. All right. Thank
3: you. Thank you.
1: So, I guess what next up we can go to uh, Miss Cayenne. Mm-hmm. All right.
3: So my name is Miss Cayenne. I am. Um, I love my New Yorkers on the line. I'm originally from Queens, but I've lived all almost- <laughs> <laughs> over. Oh,
2: it's love on the
3: line. It's love on the line. I live in D.C. I have planted some roots a little bit here in D.C., but I've lived in so many places. Mm-hmm. But. Queens, will, Queens and Brooklyn, my family's from Brooklyn, will always be my starting point, so I, I definitely um, give a shout-out to, to the original place. I am the proud owner of Cayenne Ink Healing in the Pen, which is a uh, poetry biz where we are committed to fostering hope, healing, and social change uh, through poetry and spoken word. Um, and my first piece is a piece, actually it's a piece that I did for this contest, um, and it's called dear you. Um, someone said it earlier, I can't remember which poet, but indicated that they're, you know, there's they're like a charge. They're activated. You know, we kind of activate them. And sometimes I always say this when I introduce this piece. Sometimes I, the writer, is write something. My I use my skills, my thoughts, and I do my little thing that I think is appropriate. And then other times, I'm simply a vessel, and what's what comes out. As much as I want to take credit for it, it, it's not necessarily something that I pinned of my own volition. I'm just that conduit. And this is one of those pieces where I feel like I was probably more of a conduit than, you know, a bona fide author. But I love the piece nonetheless, and it's called Dear You. Dear You, you have no idea how strong you are. Your spine is made of flexi-steel, agile, shock-absorbing, never broken. I have never spoken of this strength, not because it doesn't exist, but because you have always closed the door to disbelief. Your reality, often laden with grief, blinded by the insanity that your humanity was vanity. Life seemed to serve you up on styrofoam plates and plastic cutlery, Warmed over leftovers and fine china seemed imaginary. But tell me, what good is a fancy bowl if the contents is old? You have no idea how strong you are, how bold you are, how unlikely to fold you are, while others drop and break like those china plates you bend and lean. And if at first you don't succeed, you try,
0: try.
3: Try again, stand up again, and hope again. Your strength is strong like God's light on a Sunday morning. Incredibly, you keep rising like God's light on a Sunday morning. You have no idea how strong you are. Your legs are made of titanium. Bionic, like an alien, corrosion resistant, fully competent to stand, even when you don't understand. Don't you get it? I'm your biggest fan, not in an infatuated kind of way, but in an everything I made was good kind of way. See, it pains me every time you question your tenacity, because with every question, the audacity of your doubt nails me to a cross of limitation. When will you walk out the liberation that I bled out for you in my crucifixion? When will you wear the victory that I gave you in my resurrection? When will you learn that I'm a mathematician? See, your weakness plus my strength equals perfection. Stop saying that you can't do the math because I'm the teacher, the tutor, I'm the equation. All that you need, you have if you would just grasp. Instead of bowing in obeisance to social media's meritocracy, bend your knee at Calvary. Has anyone ever told you that your spirit is irrepressible and your winds are non-refundable? Has anyone ever told you that your heart is made of unbreakable feathers and though it weathers nearly unbearable measures, it keeps thumping and thumping and beating the charges held against it? I know that what I'm saying is true. Because, baby, I made you. I made you with the important metal from the invisible kettle that the Big Dipper rested on. I made you with the periodic table's finest, creating elements just for you, defying gravity and nature too. So when I tell you that your strength is strong, don't dismiss me and tell me I'm wrong. But better yet, stand up in this truth and say it with me. I am strong. I am strong. I am Strong.
1: Thank you. Finish. Yes. Wow. Ms. Cayenne. Yes. That is amazing.
4: Yeah. To so talk that talk, Mm that Thank talk, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Was, <laughs> Thank
2: you so much. Ms. Kayan, that was Miss nationally recognized, Miss Cayenne. Wow. Right. Beautiful.
1: <laughs> beautiful. Place, beautiful. Thank you so much, and
2: everybody. Right there too. So, yes, Miss Cayenne. You know,
1: I know you spoke about that a little bit earlier. um, Yeah. But anything else you want to add to, you know, what made you write that or, you know, the process of writing that?
3: Sure. Um, That process for that particular piece, um, which used to happen to me a lot when I first started writing, but was more of a flow. You know, that was one of those moments where – there's a line that bubbles up in my ear in my heart. I think it was, uh, you know, you don't you don't know how strong you are, and it it kind of you know evolves from that point. Now, actually, I have a Facebook group called po- Poets, Writers, and Scribblers, and uh, we've taken a little sabbatical, but during on Wednesdays we have Words on Wednesdays, and there's a word or a phrase that's given, and we're tasked with writing something either either inspired or by that word or with that word in it or both, and actually the word for the week was, I think, uh, meritocracy. That was the word. And so I had to write something and include that in the word and uh, mm. in, in the piece or be, be inspired by that in some fashion. But in this case, it worked out, but the inspiration was, you know, going through something I felt really weak. And there was a message that was coming out of me, and I just began to be that conduit to write it. Um, And and I'm unashamedly a believer, uh, a a Christian, or whatever word you want to use. And so it's kind of like a letter, you know, from God just encouraging whoever will hear that even when you're feeling weak, remember where your strength comes from. So it kind of worked out with the word of the week as well
1: as a message.
2: (laughs) All right. Beautiful,
1: beautiful. Beautiful. All right, so next, what, second place or runner-up, Keys Will. Keys Will. Here. (laughs) What's going
3: on? Keys Will here, once again, I am a spoken word smith and accidental rapper, and I am also from Queens, New York. I know Queens is heavy on this call. No, so I'm not. What <laughs> <laughs> part of Queens? i from every part of Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this, this piece that I'm going to do is called Rise of the Millennials. I'm already telling my age, ain't I? <laughs>
0: <laughs> all it's
3: right. <You're> all good <laughs> Do your thing This one is for my millennials No, I'm not trying to throw shade or subliminals. This is me letting you know that I believe in us And for the bitter elders wishing they could be us You see, my generation gets a lot of shit for what we say and do but their lack of guidance is what justifies their ridicule. Now, I'm not trying to point fingers and place blame, but you got to change the rules if you try to change the game. And honestly, nothing's going to change. With that same old mentality, the results will be the same. You said, I want my child to have a better life than me. But how are you going to do that when you keep repeating history? And I can't blame you for not equipping us with the tools we really need because if you had no one to follow, how do you learn to lead? We say public schools failed us, but they actually succeeded. They gave us what they wanted and kept what they needed, taught us how to be employees instead of employers, you know, become a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer. For generations, this is how they trained our minds. Meanwhile, they get getting ahead, and we stuck behind, but us millennials, are the first to break that generational curse. In the age of technology, we welcome you to the rebirth. You see, my generation is full of shakers and doers. I can count at least 10 friends who are entrepreneurs. We are the defiant dream chasers, and we dare to be bold. We got restaurants, stores, selling products, making clothes, dancers, singers, selling jewelry, photographers, filmmakers, publishing poetry, we follow our intuition instead of paying tuition to institutions that only offer debt and solutions. So don't judge or call fools the ones who didn't finish school because obtaining that fancy degree doesn't guarantee security and stability. We out here creating legacies. A life our kids' kids get to see. Teach them how to invest and care less about how they dress. I don't care if you own every single pair. Jordan ain't going to make you his heir. And if you really trying to be like Mike, we need to focus on getting our credit right, educate one another on what we need to apply for grants and LLCs. We're going to be fit financially. That's worth a NOLA D. Millennials are just a result of trial and error, but we're going to get it right this time and error. Grind hard in our 20s so we retire in our 30s. Make sure our kids are set so they don't ever have to worry We are no different than a Beyonce and Jay-Z. We all get to eat. Just remember to pass the gravy. So go ahead and Snapchat your life, you know, put on a show for it. But when you really do your story, what you really got to show for it. Thank you, Finn. The end.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, Did all that. All of that. All of that, all of that. Yes, yes. awesome. Thank you, so, thank you, thank you. Appreciate you. You know, kind of the same question we've been asking, what What was the inspiration for that piece?
3: Um, This piece I wrote around the time when I had first started um, performing, started doing spoken word poetry, which was back in, I want to say, 2015, 2016, and um, – I had found myself in a lot of spaces of, like, um, vending events and, you know, black-owned businesses and, you know, just doing us, right? And that was something that I hadn't really um, been exposed to before, and it really opened my eyes to, you know, what was possible and what we really are out here doing. You know, we're not doing the traditional jobs, and, you know, that's not our, our only means of, um you know, supporting ourselves and, you know, looking and seeing what real entrepreneurship looks like. So I was definitely inspired by that. And I really wanted to acknowledge that because I feel like it, and it doesn't matter what generation you're from, like, I feel like we always um, every generation talks talks shit about the generation after them. Like back in our day, we did this, and you know, we even in my generation, <laughs> if we doing it us we doing it to the next generation. Like all oh, these kids in tech, technology and all this stuff, you know. So I really just wanted to pay homage to my generation because I feel like you know we we really out here making shit happen. So yeah, that that's my piece for us.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Michael, you got any follow-up? You. you all right? Michael so I did. guess coming <laughs> up or next is the winner of the Poetically Correct Contest Summer Edition, the, the two-time winner, right? He won the one before that too. So my main man, Chev, you know, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what piece you're going to share with us today, two-time champ.
4: <laughs> What's up? Hey. Um I go I I I go by Chef, um, aka Slammy Sosa, aka the show at Laureate, aka Penny the Butcher, aka the Word Smith and Weston, aka East Side the aka Inkwell Chappelle, aka Bars and Recreation. No, nah, I'm kidding, noise. Right, but like if you would, I'd feel great about myself. For real. Like. <laughs> What? Question, question. How clean do I have to keep my mouth right now? Um, like, like how clean? What's the radio rules?
1: Like, uh, let's try not to add too much. Okay. Too much? What's too much? We don't want you to no. sound like a mad, a mad Tupac or Eminem out here. Oh, never
4: that, never that. Two, two or three,
1: <laughs> two or three. Yeah.
4: Sixteen plus, you know, PG thirteen. words the most? That should work.
1: (laughs) I hope. Hopefully, Michael won't be mad at us. But that should work.
4: (laughs) I've been warned. Can't nobody say I didn't ask. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, by way of New York City. You know, I'm saying Queens, to be specific. And uh, I'm gonna let the poem say what the poem's gonna say, and then I'm gonna say stuff after.
1: All right, go for it. Right.
4: In ancient Dahomey, over 10,000 slaves lost their lives in wars waged by their own monarchs. In ancient Ghana, excess slaves were stacked in large buildings audaciously named castles in modern-day England. A royal family has to move halfway across the country to raise a single black child. So I say, I hate when people call me king. The whole concept just sound mad white and ironic. Like, what could me and the most privileged people possible possibly have in common? It's the most fragile piece on your chessboard, acting as though a black king going missing ever stopped the game anyway. Like, we can all just keep moving as fast as U-Haul trucks after gentrification, crush my kingdom like sandcastle. Like, I need to be sold a dream. Like, I ain't see what they did to the last king that had one. Like, anyone called Will Smith Prince until he left West Philly? Like, I left East Atlanta, and some days I kind of wondered if East Atlanta left me, where his kids, we did things no kings could deal with. I mean, boys who knew how to play ball at school and play men at home could run so fast you couldn't tell if it was for first down, fiend, or freedom girls gathering graduation caps so there'd be no room left for a crown. Remember the last man to call my cousin Princess, wanted her to call him Daddy. Guess I make him king. Funny thing about royalty is how it feels so entitled to put people on their knees. And ain't that just the whitest shit ever? To make colony of a body? How quickly they'll snatch king away and leave you just Rodney. And ain't it just like a king? To have a nice stick to fight his battles. They say heavy is the head that wears the crown. Nah, heavy be the hands that build the country. Ask chala what happens when you introduce the king to a next front of projects. We did not grow up in castles. But all my OGs knew how to make throne out of front porch snatch conviction or two off their record and speak with it to make sure you knew you had more options than they did. Brother, spoke in parables. that things like, you "No know, take a village to raise a child. Big mama say, child, get away from your no-good uncle because she kind of had to raise the village by herself. I watched her I watched her get made evil on a pot of greens and make something you swear it was either magic or medicinal. Then I watched them call it witchcraft, welfare, race card uh, affirmative action it was crazy how blackness seemed to qualify you for everything right after it disqualified you from everything like you ever asked for any more than they took 40 acres and a mule being allowed to come out of this skin be exit wound like every king was james six eight like we didn't claw our way up from three-fifths drag excalibur from the cracks and plymouth rock and blast because you need no sword to sit at this round table but you damn sure better know how to play spades so king nah call me arthur Call me X, call me Martin, call me the content of your character, call me a riot, a reflection, a raised fist, Moses of the Red Sea, Harriet of the Railroad, call me a poor man's son, call me a rich child's father, call me everything I am descended from and everything I am ascending to. Call me your nigga, only if I would first call you my nigga, say it with a G-A, like that East Atlanta G-A where anyone who wants to use an E-R get put in one, call me a champion. Know that any gold you ever see on this body was earned with a head, that bear no crown, just hair. Kind of like sheep's wool and feet from ancestors who walked through fire hoses. Because black people always had this scary tendency to walk on water, and ain't it ironic how they made sure to turn Jesus white before calling him king of anything? But after all, what's a king to a god?
1: That's all right. Oh my goodness gracious. I need. You yeah. know what? You yeah, Chael. Yeah, Chael. You know what?
3: I I ain't even mad at coming second to you. I ain't even mad at that. I can't. <laughs> I can't. <be>. You, <laughs> re, re, respectfully, respectfully
1: so.
0: <laughs> you heard that?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! Y'all are doing the thing tonight, man, 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 man. I can't wait to play this back because all of y'all, all of y'all had just been on fire tonight. So I, I don't know. I don't think we got to take a break. We don't need no commercial break. We can just keep going right through. So I guess we just going to run this right back around. So same order, She's So Cold, and this Cayenne, and then Keys, and then Shev going to end it off for the night. So She's So Cold, you up? You got another piece for us?
3: Yes, I do. Um, this piece
1: awesome.
3: is um, it's my most recent piece. Uh, it's a. It's called. The title is December thirty first. It is a breast cancer okay. uh, awareness piece. Um, it actually got really great reviews. Um, I performed it at Houston Improv last week. It went over really well. Mm. <clears throat> so Ooh. yeah. So the title is December thirty first. <clears throat> I don't wear the pink ribbon. I don't buy the socks I don't donate to the breast cancer research fund. I don't walk for Susan G. Komen. I don't promote awareness during the month of October. She died in the month of December. Now, my Christmas holiday has this bittersweet taste of traumatic nostalgia, the smells, a mingling of mistletoe, candy canes, hospital rooms, sickness, looming death, and peppermint. It was her favorite time of year. She wasn't a survivor. Breast cancer research couldn't save her. Modern medicine, Western medicine, advances in technology, love, no, my pleading cries with God could save her. Stage four, 18 months. That's how long it took for the cancer to consume her. Malignant cells dividing and multiplying, simultaneously spreading and devouring, simultaneously thanking God and cursing God, simultaneously remembering that my arms are too short to box with God. 18 months. That's how long I believed her when she said, I asked the Lord. For 50 more years of good life, and he's going to give it to me. That's how long I shared my oldest child with her. That's how long I had left. That's how long I lived in fear of the moment she'd take her last breath. She died four days before my 23rd birthday. At 23, life just didn't make sense. How do I function as a motherless mother? Who would be there to teach me how to be my baby's best thing? There was no way that I would be able to be to my daughter, who my mother was to me, if she wasn't there to teach me. Those shoes were far too big for me to say. I wasn't ready. I would have never been ready. She was too great to replicate, too phenomenal to be diminished to a symbol, a pink ribbon. She was too special to corkscrew her memory into a category with 42,110 other women who succumbed to their battle with breast cancer in the U.S. in 2004. I could have joined a support group, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to gather in sameness and talk about how cancer ripped my mama from my daily existence, share side stories about how empty I felt. I was angry because she wasn't a survivor. Breast cancer research couldn't save her. Modern medicine. Western medicine, advances in technology, love, nor my pleading cries that God could save her. On December 31st, my birthday. Not only do I petition myself to be a new me, but I ask God to help me release those feelings that I carried for years after she passed. I carried resentment for every woman that survived, for every child that cried for their mother and she was able to come running. For every mother that was able to call her mother and ask for advice on how to mother her own child, I am still asking God to allow me to grieve and function simultaneously and in the process. I can't. I can't wear the pink ribbon. I can't buy the socks. I can't donate to the breast cancer research fund. I can't walk with Susan G. Coleman. I can't. I can't promote awareness during the month of October. She died. In the month of December. Thank you. The end. Mm. Ah, mm. Let's go. Powerful.
1: powerful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you
3: so much.
1: And I love to ask mm. a follow-up question or two, but I think sure. due to the sake of time.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. But that okay. was
1: wonderful. Thank you so, Thank so you. much.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.